How loud do I have to talk? I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy with the levels. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't push it. I me. won't yell. Because <laughs> I know you can. I know. You're listening to In Situ Science, where each episode we meet a different scientist and hear the stories behind the discoveries they make. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode I'm joined by herpetologists, wildlife biologists, and all-round enthusiasm machine, Dr. Julia Riley. Julia, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Can I call you doctor? Well, maybe not yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair enough. Is it fair enough at this stage in in Australia? I'm not sure. Anyway, maybe. Now is when you start filling it out on forms. Really? I'm still trying to milk the student angle. (laughs) Your student discounts. I don't want to. I don't want to give up all those student student travel awards <laughs> and student discounts just yet. Just yet. Right, just I don't want to have to pay real prices for conferences. <laughs> it's a no, bit just, terrifying. Yeah, when you're filling out useless forms for I don't oh, know, like for like getting your, your pizza delivered or something, or your mobile phone. Yeah, and you can see doctor on your on the envelopes on your, on your bills. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you've just you've handed in your PhD thesis. A couple of weeks ago now. Yeah, two weeks ago now. Yeah. yeah. How does it feel? It feels like you've accomplished something, which is really awesome. Good. I hope so. Yeah, it does feel. It feels. It's a bit weird getting back to normal life because mm-hmm. you're in this little bubble, and then of just writing crazily, working way too much, probably, and and you're into that. Like you've been doing that for so long, you don't really. You think that that becomes your new normal, and then mm-hmm. and then I'm trying to now recalibrate back, recalibrate into back into like. Now I'm teaching part-time, doing, juggling some projects, and off the table, (laughs) down. Sorry. (laughs) My dog just jumped on top of our garden table, and I had to tell him down. I'm so sorry. We have a guest star on the podcast, old Dundee. (laughs) Recording in the garden, in Dundee's garden. Yeah, in Dundee's garden, that's for sure. That was a bit of a shock. Okay. You can lie down here. That would be good. All right. <laughs> yeah, you might hear him in the background or me saying something to him when he's done something terribly wrong. Uh, he's usually so quiet and ignores people until we're recording a podcast. Exactly. He ignores <laughs> you right until you want to do something professional. <laughs> that's right. I don't edit Whatever. any of this out. This is all No, fine. that's fine. He can. Fine. Good. As long as he doesn't get back up on the table. <laughs> there we go. He's lying down on the ground. There we go. <laughs> we're talking about uh, i don't know thesis. yeah yeah getting yeah just trying to anyway it's all about change and adapting to a new just a new schedule and stuff and then so you and so felt, that's kind of exciting you felt the change i mean i feel like the submission of the phd thesis is brought up into this big sort of moment and you expect to feel some sort of catharsis when you hand it in did did you get that uh, I don't know if I've ever had that when no, I handed good. in my like when I, I finished because <laughs> I sure didn't. <laughs> when I finished my, I didn't even go to my undergrad graduation. I mm. was out studying nesting and turtles, and I wasn't going to go back for that. Mm. Um, and then for my master's, I don't know. I was already wor- working in another position by that point, mm. so. I don't know. It was kind of like, oh, I did my defense, but I'm going to work on Monday kind of thing. Yeah, just <laughs> and, keeps going. And then, uh, and then with this, yeah, it was kind of like, 
handed it in. It was really exciting. I mean, to hand it in and see, but you see your final thesis and like, well, not your final thesis, but like even when you're handing it in, it's bound. Mm. It looks so great. You have a photo of your study species on the front. And you're just like, I did this. So that feels really, really yeah, amazing. It's a nice moment to have four years of work there. Yeah, totally. On paper in front of you. Like physically. that is, I was got really excited. I took maybe too many photos of my final. I like <laughs> set up my thesis. I put cool things around it, taking different angles. <laughs> I was a bit like a photo shoot with my like, fi- like the booklet of my thesis. Maybe took me, I put maybe too much time into that, but I was highly, I was so excited about it when we got it in like a hard copy. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, but other than that, I mean, I don't know, because I love doing science so much. I mean, the next week I got, you get revisions back on papers. Like, you mm. just, like, it, it's not like an end point for me, I don't feel, because I just feel like I'm going to keep going. And I feel like that's what I always felt, kind yeah. of. Like, I was just like, okay, well, it's done. It's checked off my list, but what's 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 still out there to do? come back with comments, and you get yeah. Tweak your thesis again and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so in Australia, yeah. Out. It feels kind of like I just submitted. Uh, I did. I mean, I just submitted my thesis to peer review, and then I guess in maybe two to three months, if I'm lucky, I'll get all those comments back, and then I have to mm. get back at it again. So, so yeah. I should actually ask, what's your thesis on? <laughs> <laughs> so my thesis is on um, how social environment can affect behavioral development in a family living lizard. And the lizard that I studied was uh, Gurnia striolata, is the Latin name, the fancy mm-hmm. Latin name. And it, uh, the common name is the tree skink, which I don't really like, but I went with it for my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it should be called the crevice skink because they live in tiny crevices and mm-hmm. in rocks and uh, in trees. And um, and yeah, I think it, it was really exciting. It's all my uh, lab work that I did uh, back at Macquarie in our big uh, behavioral um uh, assay rooms basically uh, um, at the lizard lab and and I looked at how either being raised alone or with a social or within a social pair affects lizard personality traits or behavioral traits as it turned out to be right so these um, are little skinks that live in groups yeah they live in groups in the wild yeah you don't really think about lizards living in groups no you don't really, they're usually <laughs> just sort of sitting out there on rocks on their own right yeah, totally. Yeah. So you think, and oftentimes people just see, I mean, maybe reptiles alone. They see like a lone snake mm. or they see like a lone turtle in a pond or they see a lone lizard running down a road, right? When you don't really think about how they interact with each other. But but some of them, especially uh, what's called the Agurnia group here in Australia of, of, of lizards, of skinks, they uh, we know that they live in these long-term uh family groups or long-term monogamous pairs or okay. yeah things which is really really exciting and and i think and it it's i mean it's why i came to australia so to do my <laughs> phd is to be able to work with that group of lizards so yeah, yeah. so yeah. i mean was coming to australia just like coming to heaven as a you know, canadian biologist or canadian herpetologist that you're limited in what you can study you are right. limited in what you can study Isn't yeah one type of turtle or something no come on now so uh yeah so i'm originally from canada and in ontario where i uh, grew up uh there's one species of lizard <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> but actually it's like the probably the biodiversity hotspot in the country for the amount of reptiles we have there's the most most reptiles are mm-hmm. actually in Ontario. So we have 
I think it's about eight species of turtle, and I think it's like 17 species of snake. So we have a lot there to work mm-hmm. on. Um, and in Canada, we do have more than just one lizard overall. <laughs> Good. Good science facts. We just we just share the them throughout the provinces. Yeah, <laughs> each province maybe can have like yeah one or share one. We don't have that many even still. But like yeah, so coming to Canada, I think has like zero point zero five percent of the world's biodiversity of reptiles. <laughs> uh, it's a really really poor number. But what's it like then coming yeah. out to Australia, where even just where we are now, we're a couple of streets away from the national park. Yeah, there's a, there's just a lizard in my bathroom. You can find, <laughs> you know, several species of lizards just here in the garden. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. I mean, to be able to be here and have reptiles just everywhere, which is like my first one, like it's my love. It's what I really love to ask questions about and just mm-hmm. and just look at and go and find. And it's like I'm a birder, like a, what twitcher I guess they're called, where they go and like go to different places and like try to find a one type of yeah. uh, one species of bird. I do that for reptiles for sure. So so to come here and be able to be like, oh my god, I just saw a lace monitor. A lace monitor tried to get in my backyard, and <laughs> or or to be able to see death adders for the first time. I was just like, oh my god, my life. Yeah, that was amazing. It's such an amazing adventure and opportunity to be able to come here. Yeah. There does need to be a better word for reptile enthusiasts because it's herper at the moment, right? And everyone makes fun of it. It's, yeah, herpetology, <laughs> herpetology. For anyone listening that doesn't know what herpetology is, it's not what it sounds like. No, it's not. Yeah, it's the study of reptiles and amphibians. So it's a bit of a weird grouping, but anyway, we're sticking a with s- it. Skinker. Yeah. Uh, mm, I don't know. That's, that could well, be misconstrued <laughs> too. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's also some nope. really weird comments you get when you say that you study reptiles or you're a herpetologist. People go just directly making jokes. Oh, you study herpes? So that's like <laughs> the main joke all the time. Or people immediately tell you how they've eaten your study species. Is that <laughs> really? Yeah. It's like, oh, one time I ate a turtle. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but I don't think people... I don't know if... if I mean, I understand as, why, because it's how... They're like, oh, this is my main interaction with Mm. this animal or one of the one of the like a really strong interaction that I had with with this group of animals. But I'm not sure it's like if it's the best first thing to say someone who spends their life, (laughs) their life (laughs) studying the wonder of these species. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I barbecued it. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I can relate. Working on spiders. Yeah. Talking to people, the first thing is like, oh, yeah, I killed one this afternoon. You're like, thanks. Good. What, what do you want me to say to that? It's also a conversation <laughs> stopper because you're like, oh, so you don't want to know how awesome they are. <laughs> okay. I'll talk I'll do about my something best else. To convince you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a bit of a, yeah. It's a bit of a weird, I don't know. It's a weird gr- group, but I, yeah, I don't think there's any better name for a herpetologist than a herpetologist right. just yet. We'll, we'll think of one. If anybody has an idea, you can tweet us. Yeah. <laughs> in situ science. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so when did you know that reptiles were your thing? Is this a childhood fascination? I, uh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was terrified of snakes growing up. Mm-hmm. Terrified. I would cry if I saw photos of them. Wow. Mainly because my brother would uh, uh, hide snakes that he caught, garter snakes that he caught around the house. Um, in weird and wacky places um, for my dismay. And uh, and I just was terrified of them, snakes in particular. I've always <laughs> liked turtles. But, um, yeah, it took a, I got a job at uh, the Toronto Zoo um, mm-hmm. in, I think, second year university in my undergrad. 
and I was going to be a reptile keeper. <laughs> and right. I said yes because it was a dream to work at a zoo, yeah. but uh, I definitely did not have much experience handling snakes. But I was no. like, I will learn. That's just, I'm just going to do it. Mm. And it totally got me over my fear of snakes um, and just learning about them, learning about their biology. I started finding them so fascinating. And mm. I just kind of weave me down this web. But I don't think I wanted to be a, a like a researcher, a, bio, a biologist, until maybe fourth year university, and then I then I knew. Mm. Yeah, what yeah. brought that on? It's the same thing, having experienced trying it and then realizing you enjoyed it. Or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, re- I so in my undergrad, I went in to uh, study biology, um, thinking I was going to be a veterinarian. All right. And uh, and but I always, I took the zoology degree program, and I really because just because I liked, I didn't really want to learn about how to take care of pigs, which is what animal yep. biology usually is. <laughs> I wanted to learn about animals and, uh, and how they are, are in nature. Um, and, and then it was a field course, actually, where I went to the deserts of the United States, so the Sonoran and the Chihuahuan and uh, the Mojave Desert, on this amazing road trip. So they took, uh, I think it was 12, grad, 12 undergrads in these, uh, in these vans, and we drove from... Gulf Ontario, well, Windsor, Ontario, all the way down through Arizona, through California, and then back up, and just, just doing that and being able to go out and measure, measure cacti was one of my projects, and and then, <laughs> or or measure the vegetation. We weren't even really looking at animals, but it really made me just being able to ask a question, collect data, answer my question, with, and doing the scientific method was just like. I'm going to be a researcher. I love the scientific method. I love just being able to pursue knowledge and ask a question and then be able to answer it when I was hooked. <laughs> mm. And it's a personal investment. You become personally invested in the question. Oh, and totally. You actually <laughs> care about it. It's not just, this is a job I have to do and I, I tolerate it. You actually care about it. <laughs> you kind of care about it and you love it. And you just like, it's just, it's, it's an absolutely amazing privilege to be able to just be like, I wonder about this. And then mm. be like, okay, let's answer it. Mm. It's just so, it's like, I don't know. You don't get to do that in a lot of jobs. And just to be able to, it's kind of just pursuing your own personal knowledge. But it's also, I mean, the pursuit of knowledge of of, of humanity. But I mean, I think it becomes, a, that part of science is a super personal thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, getting back to PhD projects, that in particular is, you don't get much more personal than that. It's a huge step you take deciding that you're going to divert Four years to to this one thing, and you earn it, and you manage it, and you lead it. So, I should mention if yeah, anyone listening is interested in these social skinks, there's actually an in situ science video online that you can go and watch. It's just on the in situ science YouTube channel, where you can meet Julia and hear all about her social skinks. And I think when we recorded this video, you're right in the middle of the project. Yeah, and you're. St- still trying to figure out if the groups that these Agernia skinks live in are family groups or just sort of random aggregations or what's going on. Can, can we, you know, have a scoop on any breaking results? I really wish you could. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so for my thesis, because, uh, Australia in Australia it's so short actually my for my PhD it was three years and mm. I had to get it in um, which is a bit crazy it was only six months more than my master's how insane is okay. that that's insane that's, yeah that's Australian that's an Australian system yeah. um what so I didn't I, we had to 
me and my wonderful supervisor, Martin, Dr. Martin Whiting, he, so we had to do some cuts at the end of what I was going to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we focused on the lab stuff mainly. Um, all right. And so actually, still to be written up is all of my field data. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Really? So that didn't even make it into the thesis? Not even in the wow. th- unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, a it's kind of funny chunk because of what it's, you did. It's, it's, I mean, it's half of what I did, basically. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's not even the thesis. Uh, it will be written up. It's really actually probably what I'm most interested in. When I originally came here, like my original aim was to be able to go out into the field, describe an animal's social system, mm-hmm. a tree, and it was the tree skink. And, uh, and it's really what I really wanted to learn. And uh, yeah, it's not even my thesis. How funny is that? <laughs> And yeah. So your lab stuff was looking at um, so how closely related individuals were, and if that affects how they behave to e- towards each other, or uh, it was a, it was a little bit uh, different. So it was just in in looking at behavioral development of mammals and birds, it's really well studied, and we know that if a social animal is raised in isolation mm-hmm. without any social cues at all, they don't go through maybe the right trajectory of behavioral development. They're, they're a bit different. And oftentimes it negatively affects how, how they can interact with other um, individuals or uh, of the same species later mm-hmm. on and how, and like they can't mate as well. They kind of are a bit more um, like reserved. They don't, it's just, it, they don't end up being as strong of a, a fit of it as a, of an animal. Mm. Um, and no one's looked at that really. Uh, very few people have looked at that really in reptiles. And it's really important too, because a lot of reptiles now are being raised ca- in captivity mm. for conservation because they are imperiled globally. Or the pet trade. And the pet trade. <laughs> and, um, and in zoos, I mean, even just keeping them, how mm. to keep them that is a, is the most, most ethical way possible. Um, that is basically, preserving the well-being of that animal mm-hmm. um and so we wanted to see if being raised alone without any social cues or with social cues and how that affects their behavioral development so we looked at behavioral traits like how that affects their aggression how that affects how bold they are so willing to take chances and risks mm-hmm. and then we also looked at how it affects their ability to learn and also how it affects their interactions later with conspecifics. So mm. that was that's the little the short story. That was that was my thesis of what of out of all those things that I did. <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah. often think about reptiles in that way. I guess reptiles are seen as sort of expressionless and robotic a little bit. The thought of them learning from one another and developing in family groups is it's beautiful. Yeah, it is. well, it's a really, uh, I think not, no one really thinks about that that much, actually, because <laughs> they don't really have, they're not directly, we can't see ourselves really in a, in a lizard, I guess. <laughs> and so then, so then we don't necessarily first think of them as being social, but I mean, the, it's so amazing to see these family groups that are huge. I just went on a trip after my, I handed in my thesis and we saw this huge family group of 12 Cunningham skinks, which are these big skinks. They're about um, maybe 30 centimeters in length. Mm. They have these really cool spiky tails. They're amazing. Um, and they there was two adults, and then they had 10 babies just piling on top of <laughs> each other and them. And, like, those are most likely their parents. Mm. And so, and, and, they, and they will probably stay with those parents for three to four years, maybe longer. They, mm. have, they have really, like, the juveniles stay and delay leaving 
home for a really long time. Kind of like, anyway. <laughs> why, why would yeah. reptiles want to live in groups? Uh, well, I mean, for group living, there's many different benefits. So we're still, I mean, reptile sociality is quite new. Mm-hmm. It, we only really started researching it in the 2000s. Okay. So yeah, your common study species are ants and chimpanzees and dolphins and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so the main, the major like push really started in the 2000s. So I mean, 16 years. You could think that's a really long time, but it's really not mm. <laughs> that long for science at all. Um, and so we're still trying to figure out why, what causes them first to live in groups. So is it resources? Do they have to share the resources, and that really triggers them to live in family groups? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once they're in these family groups, are they, um, what are the benefits? So do they get, do they, are they able to spot predators more quickly? Do they have some sort of shared resource like food that they're all able to gain access to? Um, or like in the case of my tree crank, tree skink, (laughs) tree crank, um, (laughs) I don't even know what that is. Um, they, uh, can they all then share a crevice and get shelter that way? Mm. Um, and, or does it sometimes, I mean, with penguins, they all, they all in over winter time in Antarctica, they all form this massive ball, right. To, mm. to allow to basically not freeze. Um, and so a similar thing can happen with these skinks. If they're all piling together in these groups, in these crevices, maybe that has a, basically they're able to stay inside the, a better thermal zone so mm. they're at their bright body temperature for a more time of the day so there's lots of benefits i could have and i mean we don't really know why what happens for like does it affect their survival can they survive mm-hmm. longer these ones that are in groups versus being raised alone or or living alone um do they are they able to reproduce more we don't really know mm. we're still answering that and the field work that you did in case it wasn't clear in the video that you made these lizards are stupidly hard to catch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I was very frustrated helping catch because I don't really, I don't, I'm used to catching lizards and I just thought I was awful at doing it, but apparently not. Apparently these, this particular species are just jerks. They are, they are wily <laughs> and extremely sneaky. They are amazing escape artists as well as just evasive maneuverists they just and they they because i studied the same population for two years and i went back at the beginning we could catch them with like the traditional lizard catching methods like noosing it's basically mm-hmm. having a long you, it's in the video actually yes. having the fishing long fishing skinks. pole and then um and then yeah and then moving, getting them on the end and then moving them to a bucket um and we were able to catch most of the population with that method but then as time wore on, uh, they got, grew wise and wary of that method. And so, <laughs> and so then, um, we had to, uh, we had to employ other methods. Like we would, we had these really long copper tubes that we would like, uh, basically block off parts of their crevices and then poke the back of their tail with them to try and convince them to get out of the crevices, bug mm. them enough so that they leave the crevices and then we catch <laughs> them by hand. We, I ended up trapping them with two different types of traps. Um, I used like food rewards to try and convince them to come out of the crevices. It was, a, I was basically every single skink. I'd be like, okay, how are we going to catch that one by the mm. end? And we would utilize the best, like we would basically just be like, what's the best way to catch it? And then have like a little powwow and then be like, okay, this is how we're going to catch it every time. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, it grew insane. I wonder 
now I've not been there for a year, I wonder if I would go back and if they would be just as wary or if they've kind of let down their guard a bit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See if they have, still have their number stickers on them or, or did you have to take them all off? Uh, they'd be off by now because they right. should probably shed okay. multiple times since then. But, uh, but yeah, they'd definitely be, I think they'd still be pretty pretty wary and especially of me too they they knew <laughs> i was coming and they wouldn't i'd have volunteers and they would could sneak up to a closer like they'd get closer to the skinks mm. than i could because they'd they were really they were they were banded against me i feel like in the end <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a great example of how much of science field work is creative and i don't want to say reactionary but you kind of have to make it up on the spot you do is, have to make <laughs> when you start a project you go all right here's the plan this is what this is what our methods are going to be then you get into the field and you find your animal for the first time and you go ah oh, this isn't going to work at all that exactly happened <laughs> so we were the first site time we went out to the field trip we actually spent a heap of money on these particular type of traps and uh and so martin and i went down with a volunteer and we're like okay we're going to utilize these traps and we just tried we we had them on for like maybe two days and I would sit there and I would watch these skinks just evade these traps. And like, they were not. And from, from Martin's research, he was able to use them um, for his research on lizards and, and previous species, but this species, it didn't work at all. And so then we just had to be like, okay, what are we going to do now? <laughs> like completely start from scratch. It just didn't work at all. What we had thought was going to work. Mm. Oh, and I had planned all this, my proposal just being like, oh, yes, this is exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have these trap lines, mm. blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, nope, you're just going to have to catch them how you can catch them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I wouldn't have it any other way, I think. Because every time you do a new experiment or start on a new study species, you, you're thrown in the deep end and you have to be a bit of a creative. You know, I was talking with another person in the last podcast about uh, making things and being a having to be a crafty hands-on person because say you want to keep a new type of animal in captivity you can't just go into the pet shop and go all right i need a pill bug enclosure that opens to a y maze with the you know, lights on this time and that sort of stuff you have to actually make it yourself yeah totally it's it's amazing i mean i love i love the creative side and it's, it's always a shock to me what skills i'm gonna have to use or develop in science like it's yeah. always something new with something some new project i can remember from my master's i was doing nest caging on turtles so i had to build all these nest cages and mm. and and just going to a hardware store figuring out that a two by four in canada at least is not actually two inches by four inches i had no idea and like and like all these things that like <laughs> that like i mean I've n and i mean i could, like the the manager of my field station just laughed at me when i showed him my like little drawing that i thought that i was going to make because he's like these are not the correct dimensions at all and i was just like <laughs> okay <laughs> something new to learn and then and then yeah going to the hardware store trying to trying to file the stuff and then yeah spending weeks making hundreds of nest cages yeah just like it's just Every I love how every new study has a new challenge and a new like you're gonna you don't even know at the beginning of the journey how mm. how many different like little offshoots and things you're gonna have to learn to navigate that project. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that the in situ science stuff kind of shows that little way because I don't know scientists can come off as not arrogant but I don't know elitist and it's probably because we're so worried about being seen as smart and being seen as 
respectable and science communication really shows us in that way I think would be a lot more relatable and people would care a lot more about science if they saw the failures if they saw the trial and errors I don't know or maybe that's just me no I completely agree and I think it also I mean we can't write that stuff when we're writing up our paper. No, you can't write a paper that you says we did this and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's not it's not um, it's just not the way it's done. It's not a it's not a novel, right? Mm. And every study could be a novel mm. with the amazing journeys that everyone takes and adventures and <laughs> and weird things that happen. Um, how many times your cars? Break how many cars? Down yeah, and... the cars break down, or how many times you have to send a field volunteer to the hospital, or like. <laughs> Or like different things that have, I can remember. One time we were doing, I don't know, research in for uh, my husband James, who also did a podcast for you. Uh, his James Baxter Gilbert episode fourteen, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he, one of our field techs, had cut themselves. And and I just had to like, it, but he didn't want to put polysporin on it, like an antibacterial mm. thing. So I would sneak out and like try and put polysporin on it when he was sleeping because it was slowly <laughs> getting infected. Or cool. like, and, like I just thought like it was just like the, yeah, all these little things that just you don't think about it that are never going to get into the the um, the papers that are these amazing adventure stories. Mm. Yeah, we may have to move because it's going to get everything wet. Can we do this? Yes, it's starting to rain. It's starting to rain. <laughs> move inside. Okay. All right, this is going to be... We can do this. We're going to um, narrate the whole process? Yep. Okay, so I'm picking up <laughs> the... the uh, you got the recorder the microphone recorder. on top of the bag. Don't okay. forget the teapot. Uh, the teapot can stay outside. I'm just going to take my tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to walk together oh, from Jesus. the garden into the door, which we're going to have to knock on because it's closed. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Behind the scenes. Oh, no, it's science. open. Amazing. Okay, yeah, we have to move in here. <laughs> we're coming inside because it's raining. I'm telling James what we're doing. <laughs> James Baxter Gilbert, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are moving to my lovely 80s green couch. This is great. <laughs> inside. All right, and now we're just settling back in. <laughs> oh, this might be too comfortable, actually. That's all right. All right. We can record for as long as we like. Okay. Until the batteries run out. Yeah. That's fine. Dundee's Dundee, still here with us. Let's That's not attack. Here, you can come up here. Come on. Okay, good boy. <laughs> and now Dundee is settling into the couch as well. There we go. We're all we're all inside where it's nice and dry. <laughs> Success. Um, right. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, we're just talking about how we think that... Um, yeah, I mean, talking about the, uh, I mean, the adventures that science can take you on, I think can yeah. really make people realize that we're not all about crazy statistics and and serious mm. stuff all the time. Science isn't actually serious. That's why it is serious in a, in many ways, but it's really fun. And I mean, that's why I love to do it. I if wish you want to make it serious, it. administrators want everything to be very, I don't know, accountable and. I mean, it's good to have, like, safety method, like, being yeah. safe when you're collecting, like, all those things are, are good, but, yeah, it's not, I mean, to be able to, I've always thought that if, okay, this is my little theory, yeah. that's a bit crazy, but you know how uh, there's so many, like, chefs are very popular now, like, there's mm. been, like, an insurgence in the foodie culture, and people want to know about how chefs have made it, Yeah, and I think 
chefs are so passionate about what they do and they spend 12 hours more than that working mm. and they work so hard on it. It's really their love. And I think many scientists are like that as mm. well. It's Definitely. what they work really hard at their job. They're so passionate about it. And the adventures that scientists get, get on, like get up to and, and, and go on even is, are hilarious. And mm. I think, I think if some, if someone would ever want to do a documentary about the life of a scientist, maybe it would be a bit boring, but you could cut out those parts. No, and, then, <laughs> and then, and then I think it would be, it could just allow people to see us in a completely different light. I think it's not unlike these really passionate chefs who work all the time. I think we, we get up to, I think even funner things mm. because we're out in the field and have to, figure out how to get around a moose calf to get to our and our her angry mother <laughs> to get to our field site or like yeah. or like yeah have to navigate oh a gps is lost a battery how do i get back to my to my car it doesn't run smoothly all the time mm. i mean it's and it can be really quite anyway entertaining I mean, that's pretty much exactly <laughs> what i'd like to do with these institute science videos is to show it in process and get a crew along and follow people on a field trip and show the story of how it's done and the step-by-step nature of it so you can actually see how the discoveries are made and that there are people and stories behind it. Um, I just need a lot more time and resources. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I mean, one thing I think is a bit difficult and challenging for TV or for documentaries is that, not really documentaries, but it's not like a chef talking about how they're passionate and then they can just whip up a dish for you. Like, like a paper takes three years, four years, right? Mm-hmm. So then, so that it would be like a, it'd be a longer, if you wanted to be like, someone asks a question, they go out get everything. It just takes forever, right? So you'd have to kind of like zip in and out of people's lives a little bit to really document. But I think, I don't know. This stuff. I always go to film analogies for some reason. Okay. And. Because films are great. Yes. <laughs> but you know when you really like a movie you go out and you buy the four disc box set blu-ray thing because you want to watch all the behind the scenes oh yeah making of stuff yeah you could totally do that with a science project you know you publish your paper which is the thing that everybody reads and sees and this is the end product but you should have a little link below and say hey for behind the scenes yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah this is made yeah Go check the site. And you would see a lot of the failed experiments, and you would see how dingy the lab looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things that maybe scientists are afraid to show. I think it time. is a bit terrifying to show some of that, but I think it's really good. And I think, like, two reasons. Like, a f- it allows uh, everyone, I mean, from the, generally, just to know that hey, we're humans, we're not some sort of alien that can just, like, just write papers and that's all I care about and I'm not a robot. (laughs) I like to, like, it is a challenge and it can be challenging for many reasons, but, like, we're people that, Mm. that, that are just trying to learn something amazing and, and I, I mean, I love to tell people about my, about my science. I can't stop. But, uh, but I also think, like, it, it will really show, like, there's this whole initiative to, promote reproducibility in science and I was terrified to publish a pa- I'm still terrified a little bit to publish a paper with my R code and this is like very statsy oh, but yes. like to publish a paper with all my data and the R code that I have put up there it's it'll, the next papers that I publish will be the first time I've ever done this but I think it's so important 
that I, I mean, may I ha- maybe I have made an error in my R code or maybe I haven't and maybe I've done something great, but everyone does coding like mm. the same thing as doing a whole study a little bit differently. Mm. And we can write all the details we can in a paper, but then a lot of the times you just write, oh, I did this analysis and you gloss over mm. like the exact details, which you can now publish in our yeah. code. And so I think we can learn so much more from each other if we if we start giving our R code and giving our um, data as well as as well as someone can run it and maybe find something mm-hmm. that you didn't. But I think I think it's just like being able to like show all the little pieces of your science. I think actually is more more important than not doing it. So I'm trying to like solve my feels like just be like it's not that it is a little bit terrifying, but you have to do it because it's so important. No, I understand. I have the exact same thought about my code that I've written because I'm not a programmer. No, neither am I. And <laughs> I, ta- I and I taught myself most of yeah. my code too, right? Yeah. And I've had someone else look at my code, another herpetologist that we both know <laughs> very well, who's very good at programming, yeah. just look at my R code, which works and does the job, but they've just looked at it and gone, oh, Jesus, James, I, why did you write it like this? <laughs> yeah. This is not how you code. This is awful. Yeah. And yeah, it's terrifying just to reveal to people that you're not as smart and amazing as you're trying to sell yourself. But we're all human, right? So, like, I think that's an important part to remember. Like, I, and we're all learning, and that's the amazing part about science is that we're all always learning. Mm. So, I think if we could have more open discussions and with with ourselves as peers, and also with the public about that, I think it would make science more powerful in the end. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Because then we can learn from each other. If you don't <laughs> say you don't know something, then you're never going to learn. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, <laughs> You're like, oh well, I didn't know that. I will improve that, upon it next time. Maybe is that why scientists are so afraid to show their flaws because they spend their entire careers learning new things and you know, reinforcing in their own mind that they don't know things and they can't do things. And I think as scientists, we can readily point out our flaws. Yeah, and does that backfire <laughs> on us because we're not? willing to admit that because we're convinced that everyone else around us is really incredibly smart but i'm just learning how to program yeah i think i mean i think people are always guarded about their insecurities and you don't really want to see people like let people you want to impress see your insecurities so i think it really goes down maybe to that Mm. yeah (laughs) i don't know classic imposter syndrome yeah yeah it is yeah yeah but I, yeah, I think everyone just, we all just need to realize that we're all just, we're all on the same team and we're all trying our best and you can always improve what your best is. I think that's like, I mean, the amount of that I've learned since coming here that I had no idea even was out there for some of it. Like, mm. I mean, if you don't say, I openly say, I don't know what you're talking about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when I first started my PhD and Dan and uh, Martin were talking mm. all about the project and because they were both helping me with the project um, and I would just be like, I'm sorry, can I stop you there? I'm not sure I get what mm. you're exactly saying. Can we maybe <laughs> review that? I know that, that, and, and, and then I would ask for papers and say like, oh, I didn't really understand that. Can you suggest some papers? That would be really, but I mean, I've never, I, I was really scared that I wasn't going to be able to learn enough in three years to be able to get a thesis out in time because I was like, okay. So I was just like, I'm going to have to be blunt about if I don't know something. Cause otherwise mm. if I pretend like I know something, I will learn at such a slower rate. <laughs> I just will never get this thing done. Yeah. 
and I don't know, all the other people around you probably also aren't fully on board with things, but yeah. are too afraid to say. Yeah. Let's slow down a bit and go things. Like I remember when I started teaching, I was terrified that it, I didn't know enough to be teaching, and that the students might find out that I don't actually know what I'm talking about as well as I'd sound like I should. Yeah. And so when students would ask questions that I didn't know the answer to, I would just sort of ramble oh. about something vaguely related to it to try and make them happy and somehow yeah. hopefully answer their question when really I should have just went, I don't know, that's a good question. Yep. And that's what I do now, and I think I'm a yeah. much better teacher for it. I do that now, too, and I say, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll look it up, and I'll get back to you next week, and maybe you can look it up, and we'll see if what our answers are, if yeah. we both understood it correctly. That's what I say. <laughs> and then next week, I'll find that soon, and I'll just be like, what did you find out about that question you had last week? And yeah. then they'll tell me, and I'll tell them, and then we'll be like, oh, okay, so I guess that, that's what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How often scientists Google things yeah. is more than you'd think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not repositories of knowledge. No, we rely we just, heavily on other people's knowledge and, and other and citations and even get, Google. We know how to get it. We know how to find the facts. We know how to research. Yeah, that's, I think that's... And think about things, I think, too. Like, think critically about things. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm a thinker. I'm a good thinker. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are. No, I, I was going to ask before, I forgot, your thesis. Have you decided what color... Your hard copy is going to be bound in. <laughs> this is oh very my, important. This is a very important. So thesis whenever you're question. finally finished all your thesis and all the reviewers' comments have come back and it's all cannot be changed anymore, yep. you get it bound in nice hard yep. copy fabric, and you get to keep a copy, and then another copy sits in a library somewhere that nobody ever reads. Yep. I've been thinking about this because yep. I looked at the when I handed in my submitted version that does, is not hard bound. No. Um, I I took note of the colors that are available for her hard binding, and I initially thought I should like make it bright orange so that it really stands out on <laughs> on Martin's shelf and just like it just really is like oh yeah that's Julia's thesis. But then uh, I decided not to. Uh, <laughs> Why? <laughs> but um, I think maybe I think so. My master's thesis was navy. Uh, I think maybe burgundy would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all very sensible. Yeah. Decisions. So yeah. if you go down to the thesis collection at Macquarie, yes. there's one hot pink thesis. Is that yours? Yes. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. <laughs> See, this is the route I was going to go. Uh, <laughs> if they had turquoise, I might go with turquoise. Well, I found out later on that <laughs> apparently there's like a number of approved thesis colors yep. that you can submit in. I don't know how mine got through. I just... <laughs> Oh, that's not even one that they provide as hot pink. You just, no. you did it independently. I, did, I didn't think it mattered. I thought you could bind in whatever the hell you wanted and people were just <laughs> dull and, and uninteresting. Yeah, there's like only six that you can choose from or something. I went search because I looked around at all the thesis binder places and was asking for, do yeah. you bind in pink? And they all just said no. And then I finally found a book binders that was just down the road from where I lived. And I rang them up and said, do you bind in hot pink? Did you went, want, yeah. Is there a reason why you wanted it in hot pink? Just to be a jerk. I okay. <laughs> I just was wondering. You're like, oh. No, it was, a, it was, it was thematic because my PhD was on the Orchid Mantis. Yeah. Which is a I bright thought. pink critter. And I thought, how nice. Yeah. Bind in pink. I actually bought, I got received a book from a friend about 
Things That Are Pink. It's a great book. Oh, I should show it. And it has the orchid mantis in it, and I need to show it to you. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm literally picking this up. All right. I'm you have no follow. time finding the book. <laughs> Where's the book? It's getting a nice tour of your house. Um, the garden, the laundry. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Where is it? Oh, it's such a cool book. It's all the things that are pink. Oh, no. <laughs> I've lost it. Hmm. Oh, no. Here it is. Pink wow. is for Blobfish by Jess Keating, and inside is an orchid mantis. I gotta start writing books. I can do <laughs> Things that are brine. How's that? And we could add your thesis in this as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll put that down nicely. I don't know if that's gonna mess up anything. All right. Um, yeah. I was so excited to see it. I was just like, oh man. So yeah, I just. I didn't. I'll put. I'll tweet a photo of that later. That's great. There you go. I'll put a plug in for this book. Pink is for orchid mantises. With flattened petal-like arms that stand out against green leaves, orchid mantises look like harmless, beautiful flowers. But these pretenders have strong arms and big appetites, patiently waiting to snatch up any insect that comes too close. That's my thesis right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what? it's eating a hamburger and <laughs> the pumping iron. I don't really know what that is, that cartoon's about, but it's amazing. Great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I burned my thesis. I put it into the office. I signed a form and nobody said anything. So now there's a hot pink thesis floating around. That's awesome. <laughs> well, maybe I'll reconsider my, my choice. I don't I'll know. Have to think about they it. I might have cracked down on it since the one pink one got through. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? You may have created a huge ripple throughout the admin department. And you don't even know it. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. I'll a little bit my too. Impact. Places I've been. All right. Well, I should probably wrap things up. Let you get back to not doing PhD. I am actually doing P. I'm revising a p- one of my PhD papers, but right. that's but hopefully it'll be done soon, so it'll be great. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about your research, obviously there's the video on the NCG Science YouTube channel. Check it out. Or you can check out Julia's website, which is RileyBiology.com. And you're on Twitter. At and my Twitter handle is at jr for science. All right. Thanks so much for coming on, Julie, and thanks for giving us a tour of your house and garden. And my dog, (laughs) Dundee. Yeah, he even was a highlight. Now he's passed out on the couch. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Dundee. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and thanks everyone for listening. I had fun. (laughs) Uh, You can follow Institute Science on Twitter with the handle at Institute Science, or check out the website at institutescience.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.